Blue Wire. Kawhi Leonard is going to join the Clippers. Kawhi turns the corner for the win. Three on the way. Yes. Paul George nails it. Lou Williams for the win. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Clip and Roll. As always, I am your host, Justin Russo. And usually, I have a guest with me. In the past several weeks, this past several months, it's been Tomer's hourly of clutch points. Unfortunately, Tomer is unable to actually record this evening. I am recording on the evening of April 11th, which is Monday night. By the time you hear this podcast, it will be Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, sometime around then. And this podcast is going to serve to be as a play-in preview as the Clippers set to face the Minnesota Timberwolves in the Western Conference 7-8 play-in game. The winner of this play-in game, as we all know, between Minnesota and the Clippers, they are going to get the Western Conference's seventh seed and thus will open up play this coming Saturday in a first-round series against the Memphis Grizzlies. The loser of that series ends up having to play Friday night. If the Clippers lose to Minnesota, that game will be Friday night in Los Angeles. If the Clippers beat Minnesota, that game will be Friday night in Minneapolis. And whoever wins, whoever wins Friday night, is going to be the Western Conference's eighth seed. That eighth seed then starts Sunday on the road against the top seeded and the best record in the NBA, the Phoenix Suns. Phoenix wins 64-18. and 18. As far as the Clippers and Timberwolves are concerned, we are going to get into that much later in the podcast. I promise you that. But first, I did want to talk about these final three games. When we last left off, the Clippers were 39-40, and 40, and they had a chance to go over 500, okay? Not even just over 500, just finish with a winning season. They got to be over 500 because they had wins against the Phoenix Suns, who were resting four key players, and they had a win over the Sacramento Kings on Saturday night. That pushed the Clippers to 41-40, and 40, and thus guaranteed them at least a 500 record at 41 and 41. That's if they would have lost to Oklahoma City on Sunday night. What happened on Sunday night was kind of what we actually expected. The Clippers rested plenty of their, you know, their top flight veterans. Paul George didn't play. Nicholas Batum didn't play. No Reggie Jackson. No Marcus Morris. None of the regulars that you would normally see on a night in which the Clippers were just trying to get to the finish line of the regular season. And thus, by getting to the finish line of the regular season, they were able to kind of, you know, because they have to play a three and four. Tuesday night, they're in Minneapolis. Saturday, Sunday, they were at home. That's a three and four. That's a tough stretch. So they were trying to get some rest where they could. Norman Powell also didn't play. That was the other big guy who didn't play. Robert Covington only played 13 minutes. He started the game, only played 13 minutes. You don't really need to see much of Rocco. You know what Rocco gives you. The starting lineup for the Clippers on the night was Terrence Mann, Amir Coffey, Luke Kennard, Rocco, and Avica Zubats. The Clippers stormed to about a 16-point lead early in the game. It got down to 13 early in the, like really early in the third quarter, like a minute in. And then the Clippers just hammered Oklahoma City. They beat them by 50 points, 138 to 88. The 50-point win is now the new franchise record for the Clippers in terms of margin of victory. Amir Coffey, absolutely sensational. 35 points, a career high. 13 rebounds, also a career high. Seven three-pointers, also tying a career high. He also finished with five assists, and he did have a block. He was plus 40 in his 43 minutes of action. Amir's had a stellar season. 
Um, not to toot my own horn, I'm actually in the process of writing about Amir because of the season that he's had and how much that he's meant to the Los Angeles Clippers. But I, I truly think that like when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, the value of Amir Coffee kind of gets lost in the weeds a little bit because his January was phenomenal for the Clippers. He kept them afloat. They were like eight and nine in January, which doesn't sound great, but they played 17 games in 30 in 31 days. They were in like 14 different cities, you know, like over a month of time. And they basically went 500 essentially. And his play was a big reason. Amir played 69 games this year. He started 30 of them averages of nine points, three rebounds, two assists, shot 45% from the field, 38% from three on, on what was effectively high volume. He took about four threes per game, which is a lot considering he averaged about 23 minutes a night. Um, when, when you end up looking at everything, the Clippers, by winning their final five games, they finished 42 and 40. It's their 11th consecutive winning season uh, that the franchise has had. That extended the longest active streak in the NBA. The next closest teams are a tie between the Utah Jazz and the Milwaukee Bucks. Each of those teams has won, has had six consecutive winning seasons. If you're wondering what the longest stretch of winning seasons are in the, in the history of the NBA, the answer isn't going to shock you or surprise you in the least. The answer is, of course, the San Antonio Spurs had 22 consecutive winning seasons up to the point where they actually missed the playoffs for the first time in, you know, in basically just a tad over two decades. So, you know, you know what the the Spurs built there. Well, the Clippers are halfway there. Now, are they going to get to 22 winning consecutive winning seasons? Honestly, probably not because basketball is a crazy sport. You never know what's going to happen, you know, five, six, seven years down the line. You know what's going to happen two years down the line. You were honest to God, didn't even really know what was going to happen this year considering Kawhi Leonard was out the whole year, didn't play a single minute. Paul George missed a whole heap of time. Um, you look at everything and for the Clippers to go 42 and 40 with all all the man games that they've lost – and not just like they lost, you know, bit players or role players here and there. They lost top flight guys. Paul George only played 31 games. He missed 51. Marcus Morris only played 54. Uh, Nico Batum played 59. You know, they were without Serge Ibaka when they had Serge Ibaka. They were without Serge Ibaka for the first month or so of the season. Ivica Zubats missed a handful of games. They get Norman Powell. He plays three games and then he's out for two months, comes back for two games. Reggie Jackson, thankfully, was pretty, you know, healthy. He only missed seven games and a couple of those were for rest reasons. Um, Terrence Mann only missed one game. Luke Kennard missed 12. Uh, You know, you go through the list of players that they were without and it's honestly incredible to finish with a winning record. It's an incredible and stellar job done by Teron Liu and his staff. You know, Dan Dan Craig missed time. Associate head coach Dan Craig and the leader of the defense missed time due to due to ACL surgery and and COVID. Um, Ty Ty missed games due to COVID. He missed the game in Brooklyn, the five and seven on New Year's Day in Brooklyn, where they had the incredible win against Kevin Durant and James Harden down all these guys. You know, Ty missed that game. So they were without their head coach for several games. They were without key players for a lot of the season. They went 42 and 40. They finished eighth. You know, under the old rules, they would have just been right into the postseason and been playing the Phoenix Suns and we would have known everything. And this would have been a lot more streamlined. And, and, and you know, this 
strictly would just be about the Phoenix Suns, but to get to the Phoenix Suns or to, I guess, kind of avoid the Phoenix Suns, they have to beat the Minnesota Timberwolves on Tuesday night. Um, Luke Kennard did come out of the game against Oklahoma City due to hamstring issues. He has been listed as questionable on the Tuesday uh, injury report for Tuesday's game. So there's no telling if Kennard will play. Kennard, because he went four of 10 from three against OKC, he finished the season as the NBA leader in three-point percentage. That is actually a monumental effort from Luke Kennard because when you go through his season, and I don't want to use this as like the season recap episode, but it's it's very it's very interesting to go back and look. He shot 45% from three. He took six threes a game. He did that in 27 minutes a game. Average 12 points, highly efficient, 90% from the line. When it come when it came down to when when push came to shove, Luke Kennard honestly was probably one of the biggest shot makers on the team. How many times down the stretch of games, key pivotal moments, the team had a shot that could put them over the hump. Luke Kennard delivered. He did it against the Lakers in a couple games. Obviously, he did it in in the insane 35-point comeback on the road against the Washington Wizards. Um, you know, like his his threes, Luke Kennard's threes feel like such daggers. When he gets a three and he's in, and he's in rhythm, it feels like that three-pointer can absolutely swing a basketball game. And I I don't think they could have asked for a better game from him. He played 70 games. He played 1,900 minutes, which was almost 500 minutes more than he's ever played in a season. He scored more points this season than any other season before, more assists than any other season, more rebounds, you know, obviously more threes and more attempts. To put it into perspective, he took 150 more threes this season than he had in any other season prior to this, and obviously he made 45% of his threes. In two seasons with the Clippers, 647 three-point attempts. He's made 290 of them. That's 44.8%. A very interesting figure as I look at it right now on Basketball Reference. Um, In two seasons with the Clippers, Luke Kennard has taken as many threes as he did in three seasons with the Detroit Pistons. Exactly 647. He took 647 in 164 games with the Pistons. He's taken 647 in 133 games with the Clippers. The Clippers are using him like a true weapon. He's delivered. The Clippers delivered a 50-point win. Can't rave enough about Amir Coffey and the job that Luke Kennard did in this game. Can't rave enough about Avisa Zubats, the way that he's finished the season. He's finished it like a man possessed. Believe he's had four uh, four uh, double-doubles in a row now to finish the season. So, uh, yeah, four double-doubles now to finish the season. He's looked like he's ramped up perfectly for the postseason and for the play-in. Terrence Mann looks good. Rocco looks great. Isaiah Hartenstein looks great. You know, I, I had a tweet on Monday that when you go back and look at Isaiah Hartenstein's final 20 games of the regular season, the final 20 games of Isaiah Hartenstein's regular season, he averaged 10.6 rebounds, three assists, a block, and a steal in 21 and a half minutes per game. That's incredible production in basically 22 minutes a night. And he shot 64% from the field, 50% on threes, which were 20 attempts, and 78% from the line. Uh, he had a 71.2 true shooting percentage. And look, if your backup center is an offensive hub like Isaiah Hardenstein can be for, for bench units where he's able to handle the ball at the elbow, initiate action on back cuts, be a tremendous passer, great offensive rebounder, good good uh, lob roll threat, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Apparently now can stretch the floor shooting threes. 
Look, man, I think Isaiah Hardenstein might play more in the postseason than some people think. And maybe the Clippers, who do like to go small, maybe they don't go as small as as we would like to believe as we've seen them do in the past. But look, end of the day, everything going on with the Clippers, 42-40, and 40, a winning season. I mean, it is an absolutely incredible job. Sensational work by everybody. They were six games better than the team that finished the ninth, which was the New Orleans Pelicans. And as we get into the play and talk in a minute, I can honestly say, no matter how the rest of the season shapes up, even if they were to lose their next two games in the play, and this has been a wildly successful year for the Clippers for what they have built on the team, in the locker room, with the coaching staff and with the guys and the way that everyone has bought into the system and the organization as a whole. So as we get into the play and preview, just remember, no matter how, how Tuesday goes, no matter how Friday, how potentially Friday goes, if, if, they're, if they do play Friday, man, what an absolutely incredible season. And, and they set new franchise records and most points in a game, 153 against Milwaukee 10 days ago. They set a franchise record 50-point win against OKC on Sunday night to finish the season. They led by at least 20 points in each of the last five games. They did not trail at all in the final 141 minutes of the regular season. Just a tremendous job by the team. They're 6-1 and one since PG came back. You know, this team is rolling. They're number one in net rating, number one in offense since PG came back. Yes, they played some lackluster competition. Yes, they played teams that were resting people. At the end of the day, the Clippers took care of business when they needed to. And that's all you really can ask for. When we come back from the ad break, fellas, ladies, anyone listening, we're going to talk the play-in preview against the Minnesota Timberwolves on Tuesday night. When looking at the Clippers and Timberwolves season series, it's a lot easier to look at it, or, or a lot easier, I should say, to look at it and see that the Clippers did go 3-1 and one against Minnesota. You might see the 3-1 and one and just think, well, you know, the Clippers have their number. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. That's neither here nor there. I'm not really, I'm not, I'm going to say this right now. I'm not going to make a prediction on this. I don't usually make postseason predictions. I tend, I, I try not to. I, I have in the past. I didn't last year. I'm not going to do it now. Um, but let's just go through the season matchups and, and, and kind of see from there what we can, you know, take from everything. The very first meeting between the Clippers and Timberwolves took place on November 3rd. Um, when you ended up looking at the final score, the Clippers won 126 to 115. Looking through that game and going back and kind of reliving exactly what happened as far as the Clippers are concerned, they had a starting lineup of Reggie Jackson, Eric Bledsoe, who's not on the team anymore, Paul George, Avica Zubats, Nicholas Batum. They then had Terrence Mann, Luke Kennard, Isaiah Hartenstein, and Justice Winslow. Justice Winslow's not on the team anymore. Those were the nine-man rotation. Not those were. That was the nine-man rotation that the Clippers chose to use. You might know that Marcus Morris Sr.'s name is conspicuously absent from this. This was during a time where Marcus had to miss, uh, after the first couple games, he had to miss some time to allow his knee, or knees, I should say, to rest up and heal. Um, The Clippers got 32 points, 8 assists, 6 rebounds from Paul George. They got 29 points from Reggie Jackson, also 8 assists from Reggie. They got 20 points from Nico. He made 6 threes. 17 points from Terrence Mann, 10 points from Avisa Zubas, who played nearly 35 minutes. The Timberwolves that night started Patrick Beverly, our old buddy, Anthony Edwards, Josh Akogi, Jaden McDaniels, Carl Anthony Towns. Jared Vanderbilt came off the bench. Um, 
Malik Beasley had 14 points off the bench. Nas Reed had 11. Jared Vanderbilt had 13 points, 8 rebounds off the bench. Uh, like I said, he came off the bench. Anthony Edwards was their leading scorer that night. He had 28 points. Carl Anthony Towns did struggle. He was only 6 of 16. Uh, he finished with 18 points, 11 boards, and what was an 11-point Clipper win. Two days later in Minnesota, so the, the November 3rd was in Minnesota. November 5th was in Minnesota. So it was a little, uh, almost like a baseball series. And, and this was the thing that the Clippers played a few times. They did it against Minnesota. They did it against Dallas on the road as well. It was a way to get road trips done so you didn't have to go on the road as much. Well, joke on the Clippers, they ended up playing like a six-game road trip. They had an eight-game road trip, yada, yada, yada. We all know how crazy and hectic their schedule was this year. Uh, this game was rather interesting. The second meeting was interesting. The Clippers won 104-84, but it wasn't like the first matchup. Minnesota came out well. In fact, Minnesota had a 20-point lead at one point halfway through the second quarter. They were up by 20. Clippers had uh, a 10% win probability at the time that Minnesota had their biggest lead. In fact, the lowest win probability that the Clippers had in this game was 8.2%. That came at the 542 mark of the second quarter. They were down by 20 at that time as well. But the Clippers rebounded really well after falling behind by 20. They went on a massive run. Um, They end up outscoring them in the second half, 57 to 27. So they outscore them by 30 in the second half. They were down by 10 going to the half and then end up winning by 20. Paul George had 21 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists. But he only shot 4 of 20. He he did not make any of his 7 threes. uh, Three-point attempts, I should say. Reggie Jackson had 20 points, but he was only 2 of 8 on threes. Zoo had 14 points, 14 rebounds. Nico had 12 points, 8 rebounds. Terrence Mann had 13 points, 6 boards. Um, Cat had 20 points and 8 boards, but was only taking 11 shots. He was 7 of 11, had 6 turnovers. Anthony Edwards, who had a very nice game two nights before, 17 points on 7 of 22. Malik Beasley had 18, and that was it for the double-figure scorers as far as the Timberwolves were concerned. D'Angelo Russell did not play either of the first two games. That, I feel, needs to be something that gets talked about as we go through this. D'Lo didn't play either of the first two games. The the, the first two games in Minnesota, he did not play. Neither did Marcus Morris, though. Um, I'm not trying to say Marcus Morris is on the same caliber of players as D'Angelo Russell. I'm just giving an idea of the type of players that these two teams were missing this early in the season. The third meeting took place a mere eight days after the second meeting. So November 13th, they're in L.A., at what was still called the Staples Center at the time. And this was the te- This was their third meeting in basically 10 days. Um, they were getting this series done in, in rapid time. The Clippers had a six-point lead going to the second quarter and then pounded the ever-living hell out of them in the second quarter. Clippers walked into halftime with a 70-43 to lead. The game never got close after that. It was It was what it was. The Clippers started Reggie Jackson, Eric Bledsoe, PG, Nico, and Zoo. Same starting lineup. You're starting to sense a theme here. Once again, Terrence Mann had a nice game off the bench with 16 points. They had no answer for him. Hartenstein had 12 points, 11 boards, 4 assists off the bench, 3 blocks. Jackson has 21 points. PG has 23, 9, and 4. Eric Bledsoe has 14 points, 9 assists, 5 boards. Zoo has 10 and 12. Nico's only needed for five points. He only plays 19 minutes. He's not really needed. Anthony Edwards has 21 points and 11 boards, but takes 22 shots, making nine of them. Carl Anthony Towns struggles. Only eight points on three of 11 shooting. D'Angelo Russell does play. 
15 points, 8 assists, only 6 of 16 from the field. Jared Vanderbilt starts next to Patrick Beverly. Those two were able to start. So this was a game where neither team was really missing anyone of note, except for the Clippers being without Marcus Morris yet again. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard was missing. No one cares about that because you're not going to factor him into this play. He's not playing in the playing game. He's obviously already been ruled out. He, there's no timetable on if or when he might even return. But then that's the last time that they play until January 3rd. And it's the Clippers' 38th game of the season. It's Minnesota's 37th. The Clippers are fresh off of a long road trip, a 5-7. and seven. They just played an emotional game on New Year's Day in Brooklyn. We talked about this earlier. I mentioned it earlier. They play this emotional game in Brooklyn. They then fly all the way home for one game at home, and it's against the Timberwolves, and they get hammered. They were never in this game. It wasn't close. They end up losing by 18, they being the Clippers. It's a 122-104 win by Minnesota. Anthony Edwards has 28 points and looks great. Patrick Beverly is causing all sorts of havoc. He finishes with, like I believe, what was a career-high tying 12 assists. Malik Beasley has 11 points. Jaden McDaniels hitting four threes in a, in a game. Finishes with 18 points. Torian Prince has 17. Um, Nas Reed has 13. You'll notice I didn't say Carl Anthony Towns because he didn't play. Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell didn't play, and the Timberwolves still beat the Clippers by 18. But on this night, I feel like this is a good time to point out what the starting lineup was. For the Clippers, the starting lineup was Reggie Jackson, Eric Bledsoe, Terrence Mann, Marcus Morris, and Serge Ibaka. The bench was Amir Coffey, Xavier Moon, who played 26 minutes that night, Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, who played 17 minutes, Wenyan Gabriel, who played 16 minutes, James Ennis, who played 12 minutes, and Jay Scrub, who played the final seven. The players that were out for the Clippers were, ne- were Nicholas Batum, Paul George, Isaiah Hartenstein, and Evita Zubats. Those are four absolutely key, crucial, quintessential role players or pivotal key players. In the case of George and Batum and Zoo, those are those are starters. Clippers were without three starters and their backup big. And I feel like it does have to be noted, they were also without Ty Lu. He missed the game due to health and safety protocols. This one was coached by assistant coach uh, Brian Shaw. So that needs to get noted. So the Clippers and Timberwolves go three. Clippers go three and one against the Timberwolves. But this is the thing. That last game was January 3rd. That was so long ago. I don't think that people understand how long ago January 3rd was. That was 99 days ago. Almost exactly 100 days from the time I am recording this podcast, from the time in which they will actually be playing their playing game, 100 days since they actually played their last regular season game against each other. And so much has changed in that time. The Timberwolves have a better understanding of who they are. The uh, The Clippers have a better understanding of what their rotations are going to be and what their health is. The Clippers have added Norman Powell. They've added Robert Covington. They've streamlined their backup center rotation. They understand what their starting lineup is going to be on a given night. There's less things in flux. They're able to give minutes to different people. Terrence Mann is playing a a pivotal bench role. You know, all these things. 
So much has changed, and I feel very comfortable in saying the two teams that we are going to watch step on the floor Tuesday night in Minneapolis are not at all comparable to the two teams that stepped on the floor at st- at what was still... No, actually, I'm sorry. It, it had just been converted to Crypto.com Arena. They are neither of the two teams stepping up foot on the floor Tuesday night in, in Minneapolis are comparable to those two teams that night, January 3rd, in Crypto.com Arena. They're two vastly different teams, and I understand if people think because the Clippers went 3-1 and one against the Timberwolves, that means that the Clippers you know, kind of have the upper hand in what will be this play-in game on Tuesday night. I'm not so sure. I, I don't know who wins. I don't know. You know, I, I really don't know. It's a one-game scenario. Like, that's really it. It is a one-game, absolute, anything-can-happen scenario. The Timberwolves' best players are going to be playing. D'Angelo Russell missed their final two games of the regular season. He was not listed on the injury report ahead of the game. Carl um, Anthony Towns is going to play. Anthony Edwards is going to play. And, of course, Patrick Beverly is going to play. Carl Anthony Towns had a wonderful year. 25 points, 10 boards, nearly 4 assists. Shot 41% from 3. He is the best shooting center in the league. But this is where we have to talk about how the Clippers are going to play them. What we saw during the regular season when Towns did play and when the Clippers had Nico Batum uh, at their disposable in those games, they were willing to put Batum on Cat and have Zoo guard either Jaden McDaniels or Jared Vanderbilt and dare one of those two players to make threes and beat them. Now, that is a dangerous proposition for one simple fact. The Minnesota Timberwolves shoot more threes than anybody else in the NBA. They average 41.3 three-point attempts per game. That is the highest in the league. They make 14.8 per game, also the highest in the league. Their three-point percentage is 35.8%. That's 12th best in the NBA. When you're taking that many threes, they are essentially a high-variance team. High-variance teams in one-game playoffs are extremely dangerous. Because they can get hot or they can get cold. And if you're Minnesota and you get hot, it is very hard to be beaten. Especially with Towns, as good of a shooter as he is. And with Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell, as streaky as they are. Same with Malik Beasley. When you look at their team, and by the way, Jalen Noel is a name that you should probably know. Jalen Noel is a very good offensive player. Shooting 39% from three, 48% from the field. Averaging almost nine points per game. This game is not going to be easy for the Clippers. And if I had to if I had to guess strategically, I would say that you see the Clippers do what they have been doing, which is Nico on Cat. And then we're going to see Zoo on McDaniels or on Vanderbilt just to start to kind of see what ends up happening. This is a this is a game plan that Minnesota does know is come does know is coming because Anthony Edwards has talked about it over the last day or so. And uh, I believe on Monday he talked to uh, r- reporters um, at like a shoot around or something like that or media availability and talked about how he knows exactly how the Clippers are going to defend uh, the Timberwolves. And that's not shocking. I mean, it's not like some great mystery how the Clippers could defend them. I mean, you know, we all know Ty. We all know Dan Craig. We know we know what kind of systems they like to run. They, they like to get wonky. Now, do the Clippers start a traditional center? Do they start a Vita Zubats? I think they do because they understand how important rim protection is, even against a team that likes to shoot as many threes as Minnesota does. 
You have to also factor in that Minnesota does not take a lot of two-point shots per game. They only take 49.7 two-point attempts per game. That's 24th most in the league. Uh, They're 14th in in two-point percentage as well. They do get to the line quite a bit. Um, If you end up looking at free throw rate, the Timberwolves are 10th best in the NBA with a .254 free throw attempt rate. Uh, the, The Clippers are near dead last in that. They're 26th. But this is where we need to discuss uh, the kind of, I guess, the elephant in the room. The Minnesota Timberwolves, if you keep them in the half court, are not as dangerous as if you allow them to get out and run in transition. I know that sounds like a, well, no, duh. Most teams are incredible in transition, but not as good in the half court. Like, that's obviously common sense. Minnesota in offensive rating is seventh in the league. But in half court offensive rating, they're 14th. The Clippers are eighth defensively, but in half-court defense, they are fourth. If the Clippers can make this a half-court game, and that is not easy by any any stretch of the imagination, the Minnesota Timberwolves are first in pace. The Clippers are 19th. But if the Clippers can find a way to drag Minnesota down to their pace, there might be a way for the Clippers to win this game in what will be a very hostile environment. You have to understand, the Minnesota Timberwolves, as a franchise, have been pretty downtrodden. This is only their second postseason. I'm going to call this a postseason. The play-in to me is the postseason. It should count as a as a postseason game and not a standalone. So if you count it as a postseason game, this is their second trip to the postseason in the last, I believe, like 15 years or 18 years or something like that. So they're going to be nuts. They're going to be out of their minds. At the, like, the Clippers are going to have to find a way to overcome this, this crazy enthusiastic Minnesota crowd that wants to see the Timberwolves succeed and get to an actual postseason berth beyond just the play-in. Um, it's not going to be easy. The Clippers are going to have their work cut out for them, but there are some things that the Clippers can take advantage of. Neither one of these teams are good on the offense. Or, excuse me. Neither one of these teams are good at keeping the opposition off of the offensive glass. They're both in the bottom, uh, bottom five of offensive rebound rate as far as opponents are concerned. The Clippers are 27th. The Timberwolves are 28th. They both give up offensive rebounds to the opposition. But Minnesota gets offensive rebounds a lot better than almost every team in the league. They're 7th in offensive rebound rebound rate excuse me, because Jared Vanderbilt is a monster on the offensive glass. I think that's one of the things that's kind of been lost for a lot of people. He averages 2.9 offensive rebounds per game, which is a lot. But then you factor in he's only averaging 25 minutes a game. That's a hell, hell of a lot of offensive rebounds for one guy to be grabbing in 25 minutes, okay? Carl Anthony Towns also averages a two and a half. He's doing that in 33 and a half minutes. Um, Nas Reed can get offensive rebounds. Jaden McDaniels, Patrick Beverly, as we all know, can get offensive boards. The Clippers have to be focused. Defensive rebounding has been a big issue for them all season long. If they do not bring the intensity on the defensive glass, it is going to be a problem for 48 minutes, and you cannot allow that to happen. The two other areas of this game that are going to decide this contest, number one, turnovers, and number two, as far as the Clippers are concerned, you have to generate your open threes. As f- Let's talk turnovers first before we get into open threes. Turnovers, Minnesota is 17th in turnover rate. The Clippers are 14th, so they're basically comparable as far as turnover rates for offenses go. However, Minnesota turns opponents over the second best and second most in the NBA. The Clippers can get careless at times. We've seen PG get careless. We've seen Reggie get careless. 
If you get careless against Minnesota, it's a turnover and they're out and running with their young guns in transition and it's going to be a very long evening in Minneapolis. And you just don't want this. Like at the end of the day, you just don't want this. Just take care of the ball. And one of the best ways to take care of the ball, slow the pace of play down, be methodical, work the ball around, drive, kick, swing, and force Minnesota into bringing the ball up against pressure so that it kind of drains them on the defensive end. But Minnesota plays a very gambling style of defense. And because they play a very gambling style of defense, they've been known to give up three-pointers at a pretty prodigious rate. Opponents attempt 37.3 threes against Minnesota per game. That's the 26th mark in the league, meaning they give up more threes, more three-point attempts in the league than all but five teams, okay? Those teams are shooting 35% of them. The Clippers, for those who don't know, finished the regular season just, just percentage points behind the Atlanta Hawks to be the third best three-point shooting team in the league. If they had eclipsed Atlanta, they would have been second. The Clippers don't take a lot of threes. However, that's kind of changed in the last few games. Because as we go through the game logs, over the last five games, the Clippers have taken 43, 44, 34, 43, and 35. And the two games prior to that, they took 36 in each of those games. When you end up looking through everything, just those seven games, if you go from the game against Utah at home, which was the comeback win when PG's return, until the final game of the regular season against OKC, the Clippers are averaging 38.7 three-point attempts per game, and this is has to be factored in to the fact that Minnesota gives up a lot of threes. Well, the Clippers are starting to hunt threes. They're starting to hunt threes with Rocco in the corner. They're starting to hunt threes with Luke Kennard. They're starting to take up more threes because PG's back. You know, you have these got Marcus Morris is starting to take more threes, Nico Batum. This is the offense that Ty has been trying to generate. They've been working outside to in and then inside to back out. And it's paid off in a massive way. So... Three, three, three key things to watch. Turnovers, because if the Clippers turn the ball over too much, Minnesota's likely going to win the game. Offensive rebounds, if the Clippers don't clean up the defensive glass, it could be a long night because Minnesota, and specifically Jared Vanderbilt, Cat, Nas Reed, Jaden McDaniels, Patrick Beverly, etc., those guys can make the Clippers' life a living hell. And number three, the Clippers need to take advantage of the open shots because Minnesota will give them to you. They play a very gambling style of defense because they try to force turnovers. You got to hit your threes. That's what it ultimately comes down to. And in a one-game playoff, any player can swing things. Literally any player. Uh, And that's kind of my way of saying you never know what's going to happen on a night like this. Maybe, just maybe, if Luke Kennard doesn't play, and it looks like he he might not, depending on the hamstring, if Luke Kennard doesn't play, Maybe Amir Coffee plays, or maybe Rocco gets more minutes, or maybe Terrence gets more minutes, or maybe Marcus is getting it going and he's playing more, or Norm gets the benefit of the minutes that Luke left. And all of a sudden, the firepower on the Clippers looks a little bit more bolstered, even though they're without the what who has been the best shooter in the league this season from three. If you have Norman Powell on the floor more, if you have PG on the floor more, if you have Reggie on the floor more, your offense is most likely to look better. So keep that in mind. It's going to be a very interesting game. It will be very intriguing to see how much Ty 
opts to run a small ball lineup rather than a traditional big man. I think this might be a game in which Zoo will play possibly 30 minutes and Hartenstein will play at least 10 to 12. He might play the other 18 that Zoo doesn't play. But I wouldn't be shocked to see Hartenstein get 10 to 12 minutes and then you get eight minutes of small ball, essentially. That wouldn't shock me. That wouldn't shock me in the least because all the, the last few games to end the regular season, the one lineup that Ty said he wanted to see out on the floor but he never put out there was Norman Powell, Paul George, Marcus Morris, Nico Batum, Robert Covington. Maybe we see that. And maybe that's the ultimate gambit that he likes to run out there for about mm, three to four to five minutes at a certain point in the first half or at a certain point in the second half in order just to see how Minnesota tries to combat that lineup configuration and maybe try to bait them into throwing the ball to to Towns, to Cat in the post, and then doubling and scrambling out of that. It's going to be a very interesting chess match between Chris Finch, who uh, just got a new contract extension, which he wholly deserved and earned because of the season that the Minnesota Timberwolves have had, and Ty Lue, who is, as we all know, one of the very best, if not the best, in-game adjustment coach in the NBA. I'm very excited for this game. This is going to be a very intriguing game no matter what happens. These are two high-level teams. These are two high-level coaches. And this features the most intriguing storyline that a Clippers playing game could have outside of if they somehow met the Lakers, I guess, which is the Los Angeles Clippers to get an official postseason berth have to go through Patrick Beverly. That is going to be one of the most intriguing, compelling, fascinating storylines of the entire play in. I know Paul George said it's not a Paul George versus Patrick Beverly thing. It's a Minnesota Timberwolves versus an LA Clippers thing. I completely understand you, PG. I don't even disagree with you, baby. I just got to say, the road goes through Patrick Beverly, and you could not ask for a more compelling playing game for the Clippers. I'm excited. I hope you're all excited. No matter what happens tonight, this is going to be an incredible theater. I hope everyone has a glorious night. Hope everyone has a great day. I will talk to you guys in a few days. I'll try to get Tomer back on if he's able to get back on anytime in the next few days after he's done uh, handling what he needs to handle. I will talk to you guys later. Everyone stay safe. Be your best. Be good people. I don't know what I'm doing. I pretty much rambled on for about 39 minutes, 40 minutes, 41 minutes. I don't even know anymore. I hope you all have a blessed evening. Stay hydrated. Stay safe. I'll talk to you all later.